The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Stroud. I'm the CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast. I am sitting here recording live from the National Summit on Strategic Communications. And I have the joy today of doing my first ever multi-guest podcast. And so who knows how this is going to go. Um, I'm going to let my guests introduce themselves because of the fact that um, they'll be able to tell you a lot more about themselves than I will. But they did a panel today called, Is Your uh, PIO Team Ready for the Next Crisis? And the thing that's fascinating is, if you, unless you've been living under a rock... Two of the stories I know you will probably heard, I certainly, living out on the West Coast, have heard about the ghost ship fire, um, the Orlando you know, shooting, unfortunately. I think everyone heard about. Um, Karen, you've actually, you teach this stuff. You're an expert. You've dealt with all kinds of crisis, including uh, hostage situations, so you know, natural disasters. We've got the whole spectrum covered. Goal here is to then try to help translate that into some of the practical takeaways that some of the business folks, which after listening to your stories, probably don't feel like their uh, crises are quite so bad at the end of the day. So anyway, Wanda, why don't we get started with you? Sergeant Wanda, sorry. No, thank you for inviting us, Aaron. My name is Sergeant Wanda Miglio. I work for the Orlando Police Department, and I'm a public information officer, and I was one of the PIOs who worked through the Pulse Massacre. And I'm Michelle Guido. I am also a PIO for the Orlando Police Department. Good afternoon. My name is Karen Boyd. I'm the communications director for the city of Oakland, and I was the lead PIO on site during the response and recovery from the ghost ship warehouse fire in December. And I'm the other Karen, Karen Terrell. I'm with Media Survival Group, and uh, I teach crisis communications as a contractor with Homeland Security. Great. Now, let's start off a little bit because, again, I think unless you've been living under a rock, you probably heard about the massacre that happened, if I'm remembering correctly, December? Was that December? June 12th. Wow. Seems like it was uh, six months ago, but clearly. Um, I'd love to talk just a little bit about that and what your role was. We don't need to reenact sort of the horror that that was, but maybe some of the key lessons and takeaways. And then, um, Karen, I think maybe we can talk a little bit about Ghost Ship since, again, I know NPR talked a lot about it. I'm sure it got covered nationally, but I'm very aware of it since I live 20 minutes away. Um, and then, Karen, maybe we can talk a little bit about a couple of instances. And I apologize. I did miss your session. I came in at the tail end. I was recording with uh, Mark McKinnon. Uh, we had a couple of technical issues. So I was sad because I really wanted to get in there and hear what you were talking about. But let's start with that. And then we'll you know, sort of keep going and talk about uh, a number of different topics, if that's OK. Our role um, as PIOs for the police department in a crisis situation is really to provide information both to the media and also to the public. Um, in the age of social media, people immediately go to social media looking for information, and it's not just the media that does that. So it's important for us to be able to get messages out very quickly, and sometimes when things are unfolding and they're very frenetic, it's really difficult to have a lot of information um, to be able to disseminate, but we felt really strongly that even if we had small pieces of information, it was important to put them out and keep them coming so that 
our messages could be the predominant official messages versus whatever else other people would put out there. Right, and I think this was Michelle speaking that one of the things that you brought up during your session was with this rise of fake news, um, not to say that people necessarily would be intentionally putting it out there in this case, but everybody kind of wants to be able to put out their POV. That's the downside of social is you don't have that two sort of, you know, source authentication that the traditional media has. And so you do sometimes get stories, especially amongst chaos, especially as people are wanting to give you the facts real time. Everybody's got their phone. So uh, I'm sure that compounds like the difficulty of the jobs that you all are trying to do. But it's also a really good takeaway for people who are communicators because oftentimes what might be instinctive is to say, I'm just not gonna say anything until I have some really good information to put out there. But it's really important that you control your message and also that you can interact with people out there who might be putting out erroneous information. We spent some time that morning, in the very early morning hours of June 12th, telling people, that's not what happened. This is what happened. Please don't report erroneous information. Please don't rely on any other information except the official information that you're getting through us. It was very important for us to have one message and to be clear with that message. We utilized social media the entire time. As Michelle stated, there was a blast um, that occurred in the morning, and that was when our SWAT team made a breach into the building. Um, Michelle immediately tweeted out what the boom was because we knew there was reporters everywhere. There was public, there was residents that were near the building that could hear that. So we wanted to make sure that we were the first one to put out what that blast was. That way, there was no false statements um, so it's really important to get in front of the story um, and we really communicated with all of our partners um, with different agencies and the hospitals to have one message and to be clear with that that way there was not several messages it was all one coming from our social media account so Karen I'd love to shift to you thank you um, one of the things that I think you've had to deal with and some of the other sort of heads of comms have talked a little bit about is this story, you know, about the uh, ghost ship club and the fire, like there, it's part of a bigger story, right? So it keeps sort of coming out. And I think that one of the things that's so hard is you want to tell the story factually, you want to make sure people have the access. And so the immediate sort of repercussions of that have, you know, that first wave, but then it keeps sort of creating these stories. And I know that how does someone like you ha deal with that? And how do you like keep a, you know, a stiff upper lip and having to, you know, like just when you think you put something to bed, it resurfaces and it's hard for you. I think it was the woman from Hershey's was saying, you know, you want to be able to tell your positive feel good stories. And those are hard to do when you're having to sort of combat some of these negative or, you know, um, more serious stories that are something that need to be dealt with, but really aren't quite as fun to tell. Right. I think it's really important to know your community and to know that all incidents, all crises, all emergencies ultimately are local. And so it's important to know what the sensitivities of your local community are and to be able to think both in immediate terms. So Michelle and Wanda are talking about the need to get out immediate information right away that's accurate and timely as soon as possible. One of the things that helped us is our team started thinking in two-hour time blocks. What do we need to do in the next two hours? But we were also thinking about what's the next 12 hours looking like? And from the moment we got there, it was really, what does this look like 
36 hours from now, a week from now, three months from now, six months from now, because the reality is the ghost ship fire happened in the midst of a regional housing affordability crisis. People are living in conditions that they ordinarily wouldn't have in a different kind of economy. And so we know that while there, this fire is playing out um, in the particular way that it did, there are lots of people living in very vulnerable and precarious situations with respect to fire and other kinds of habitability hazards. And so we needed to think about what kinds of messages we're conveying to landlords and to residents who are living in vulnerable places and thinking strategically ahead. The other thing is that we knew that there would be a deluge of public records requests. And so we actually had our team uh, going through the records that weekend looking to see what do we know, what can we release, um, and trying to speed that process. It's been a challenging one because frankly, in an old city with old records, some departments are better at record keeping and technology um, uh, support around record, I wouldn't say record keeping, let me back up. The um, the record keeping is fine, but the technology systems to make those records publicly available quickly has differed from department to department. Um, so really looking at in advance, what are you going to be needing to say down the road? That said, I think one of the things that's really important is to know, particularly in a situation that's tragic where there's a loss of life um, in, in the mass tragedies, mass casualty tragedies, is the media is always looking to move on to the next story and the next story. They get tired of telling the same 24 hour news cycles. They're telling the same story five, six, seven, eight times a day. By day two or three, they want some new angle. But the grieving families, the friends, the people who are suffering from the local impacts of the tragedy have not yet even heard the details of their loved ones, their friends and family. And so it's really important to not be just swayed by the turn of the media, you know, the short attention span of the media, and to really think about the, the, the most important messages early on are ones of compassion, of community coming together, of cohesion rather than divisiveness. And so uh, maintaining the discipline, and we think the mayor of Oakland, Mayor Libby Shaft, did a really good job of continuing to keep the story local and grounded in the reality that people lost their lives. And there's time for other kinds of information of over time as the story, the story will have legs for years to come. Um, but to not lose sight of that really local, um, compassionate messaging. So Karen, I want to ask, building on this, I think one of the, th I love that construct of thinking two hour blocks, right? And then sort of get to, because it can be daunting. One of the other things that I can imagine just how difficult it is, is you are dealing with mass chaos, right? And you probably helped counsel people through even bigger tragedies than these when you are talking about earthquakes or wildfires or international issues with uh, hostages and, you know, sort of terrorism. So what are some of the, the things that you help impart from a uh, teaching perspective and as a practitioner for, you know, keeping a cool head and having the right approach as you're going through this? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the, the summit that we are here um, these next two days, uh, the focus is on strategic communications. And even though we always say the first thing you got to do is be first. In this day and age, you've got to get out there, own the hashtag on, on Twitter, make some kind of a post, even if it's just a holding statement on your Facebook page. You've got to get out there and own it 
or everybody with a cell phone will just go running with it. And so the, it's so important to step out and be first. And yet at the same time, you've got to have a strategy in, in place because you not only have to be first, you have to be first while looking forward. As Karen so uh, concisely put, you know, you need to always have a plan in place to what you're going to say an hour from now and all that kind of stuff because it needs to be constantly refreshed. That stuff doesn't appear to you in your brain, you know, when you wake up that morning. You've got to have a plan in place, some templates maybe with some blanks, you know, that you can predict. This is what we need to know the second hour of an earthquake or, you know, whatever it might be. And the most important personality uh, characteristic that a public information officer needs is empathy. The ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And I saw that conveyed so well by these women uh, during the their respective crises. I remember during the, um, the ghost ship fire, one of your spokespeople, and by the way, none of these three PIOs were the spokesperson. They were coaching and creating messages for the spokespeople. And I saw one of um, the people in Oakland, I don't remember who it was, the, the mayor, the fire chief, I, I don't know. But that person said, you know, tomorrow morning will be the first morning that many of these people have woke up and began a day without their loved one. I thought, wow, I got chills when I heard her say that amazing empathy and I remember in in the uh, the, sh the shooting the nightclub shooting there were equally empathic kind of statements that I'm pretty sure you guys planted in those spokespeople talking about we understand this is the worst one of the worst moments that Orlando has ever had and all that that kind of thing and and um, so their challenge is to create messages that are both timely, right on time, looking forward, and with a, an ear to what the public needs to know. And that is that their emergency responders understand and are there for them. So I'm hearing from you empathy, great planning, great communication, and obviously, you know, the two of you, all, all of you are, are good at coaching. I do want to go back to Orlando just related to that because if I remember correctly, I have a cousin that lives there and my aunt and uncle live there. You had three, not just one, but like three, maybe even four pretty big national sort of issues that happen on top of each other. And I think within like a two, two was it a week? Maybe I was going to say like a two or three week period, starting with, I know there was the young child that got snatched by the alligator. And then there was like, you know, several different things that happened. I guess that was more Florida. I think that was down in Disney. But anyway, you were impacted by this where all of a sudden Florida is like front and central. How, you know, with the best planning you can do, how do you survive like waves and waves where it's almost like, can you please stop already, you know, when these types of things are happening to you? I think what we learned um, that week was that we had done some strategic planning. We had talked about things, generally speaking, hurricanes, civil unrest, the kind of thing that you would imagine is going to happen. But even with the best laid plans, when something like a terrorist attack happens, it is different from anything else. And while it is, I agree with Karen, a really personal local story, it is also a global story. There is nobody across the world who wasn't looking at the pictures and hearing the statements out of Pulse and thinking, I could care less about that. Everybody cares about that because 
Um, everybody understands that it can happen anywhere at any time. And so for us, the that whole week was very um, sort of crazy, but even more so for our tactical officers, because on in a in a generally in a year's time, our SWAT team might get called out to four to six um, different locations, different incidents. We don't have a full-time SWAT team. We have a SWAT team that is made up of people who all do other jobs within the department. And within that, within 72 hours, they had been on three calls. And that's extremely taxing for a SWAT team. And Pulse was the last of those three. And just to make things complicated, if I remember this correctly, and I think you alluded to this because I caught the tail end of it, you had the FBI get involved as well. So you're not just handling this locally. You have the FBI, you have the national news, you have a potential terrorist threat because I think he had alluded to being part of ISIS, if I remember correctly. You have a hate crime potentially because he's in a gay nightclub. You know, you have gunfire, you have explosive devices. I mean, it's kind of like... Could it get any worse than that? And I'm laughing not from like, a, it's humorous, but I just can't imagine what, I remember reading about it and thinking, oh my gosh, and you had to live it and you had to deal with it. And you know, hopefully you'll never have to see anything like that in the rest of your careers. And the truth is at the end of the day, we had 49 people dead, a city and a region just in tatters emotionally. And it was up to the leaders of our respective organizations, local uh, law enforcement, our chief, the mayor of Orlando, the mayor of Orange County, the Orange County Sheriff. I mean, there were, there were 300 law enforcement officers that responded to the Pulse nightclub that night from 27 agencies in our region. And um, no matter what else was going on, we still had a city that really felt on the precipice of this like unimaginable grief, right? And it was up to the leaders of our city and our agencies to, to lift people up at that time, which was, is not, that's a very tall order for a local official or a chief of police. When you have a tragedy this way, and especially as PIOs, we want to get the message out. Um, and like I stated before, that we want to be in front of it. But sometimes there's not a message because we don't have any of the information. Um, and that was something that we would go on Twitter. We'll hopefully have an update for you in another hour. Um, we experienced we, Christina Grimmie losing her on that Friday um, night and then we had two other SWAT call outs that we on that Saturday and then Saturday night was the Pulse incident. Um, something that we have to always remember is that we're all experiencing the tragedy even the officers that are responding we have to remember to be human um, even though we are quick to want to get the information out there but we also have to be sensitive to what has just happened. Uh, it affected everyone 49 lives were lost and there was people there were officers that had worked there at that nightclub and who knew some of the people that were lost um, it, And it's just That was something that Michelle and I always we wanted to make sure that we were thanking the community and we had to remember of all the groups that were affected um, things that had to be in a different language 
because it was uh, it was Latin night also at the Pulse nightclub. So there were a lot of variables that were in motion that we had to remember and be sensitive to of what just happened, that it wasn't just us just trying to get the information out there to the media, that we needed to be human about it, that there was 49 lives lost. So we are at about 20 minutes, and I do want to be respectful because I know all of you have schedules you want to keep. I do want to offer something up to you because this was a heavy but important conversation. A lot of the conversations I have are much more, you know, sort of what have you done in your career and who's inspiring you. But I want to offer you the opportunity of ending on something that's a little bit more of a playful note, if that doesn't feel too disrespectful, and that is... I like to ask my guests, and this sort of shows the human side, and I can see the human side in, in all of you just sitting here across from you. Um, you're stuck on a desert island, so completely opposite of anything we talked about. You have one album you can listen to for the rest of your life. Ideally, not a greatest hits, but I can let you cheat. What would that be? So if you feel like answering that, I'd love to hear. If you feel like, you know what, no, this was a serious conversation. I don't want to go down that path. I totally accept that as well. Well, mine is a greatest hits, but it would be Stevie Wonder or anything by Stevie Wonder. That's a good choice. You're the second guest I've had that has said Stevie Wonder, so uh, good choice. And I'm a huge, I saw him for the first time last year, you know, 48 years, Bottle Rock out in West Coast. So it was uh, tremendously fun, amazing performer. So thank you. Mine would be Sade. Sade. That's uh, that's a good call too. She's someone that I sort of wish hadn't like faded into the black. I'll still dig her out once in a while because um, listened to her a tremendous amount back in my twenties uh, and thirties. I think so. I love that. Great. Oh, it's the classic enduring Led Zeppelin four with Stairway to Heaven. That is. You know the thing that's funny is I love that album. Actually, someone one of my guests asked me, and I put that on my top three because I cheated, and actually. Stairway to Heaven is not my, I don't dislike it, one of my least favorite songs, though, on the album in total, because there are so many good songs on that album. Yeah. yeah. But the Stairway to Heaven, I thought, would be uplifting for our conversation. It is uplifting. <laughs> there is a Stairway to Heaven, exactly. And my favorite would be Santana Braxis. Ah, didn't see that coming. I'm always surprised by the choices the guests uh, make. So, anyway... Um, Wanda or Sergeant Wanda, and I don't know, am I supposed to be calling you Sergeant Michelle? Are you okay with Michelle? Okay. I want to be respectful. Um, Karen and Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are live at the uh, National Summit on Strategic Communications. You certainly heard about some very strategic communications and the strategies and how you can apply it. So thank you all for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Aaron. And this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group, host of the What to Know podcast. Thank you. Want more episodes of the What to Know podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Check them out on iTunes, the podcast app, and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash what to know.